Hello, everybody watching online at Speedway here at Lenexa. I saw a bunch of you in the South Sanctuary. It's so great to have you. I want to begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive right in. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, by your power, have sent waters from the heaven to nurture our earth. And now we invite you to send your word from heaven to nurture our souls. And I pray that every one who is hearing these words, wherever they're at, that their hearts are tilled and softened so that your word sinks in and we will be encouraged and we will be changed. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. And everyone said? Amen. Okay, so um, I very first time that I spoke to the family at Westside was almost four years ago. Uh, and I told you my story and for many of you, you weren't there, so I'm going to tell just a piece of it again because it's sort of pertinent uh, to what we're going to be chatting about today. The story basically is I didn't grow up in a Christian home like many of our teenagers are getting the joy of being able to experience, which is really pretty cool. Uh, but I did have two spiritual deposits in my life. The first one came in the form of a Bible that my grandmother gave to me and to my younger sister, Teresa, uh, this is a black fake leather King James version, red letter edition with a little cross on it. And this is actually it. I still have it to this day. The second one came in the form of a ceramic prayer plaque that hung over my bed. And I said that prayer every night before I went to sleep. If you know it, say it with me. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake I pray the Lord my soul to take. Hmm. Let me ask you a question. What kind of sick person writes a prayer like that for kids, right? I mean, every night I went to bed, it wasn't dreams of sugar plums dancing in my head. It was like, this could be it for me. And what are the chances the Lord's going to take my soul? My parents have never even taken me to church. Then, in, uh, at the age of 14... Uh, a neighbor that worked with my dad two doors down invited me and my younger sister to their summer vacation Bible school. And, um, and we said yes. And so on Tuesday night, uh, he came to pick us up. And instead of being in the family station wagon with the wood panels, remember those? He picked us up in a rickety old church bus, right? Uh, that's how kids whose parents didn't take them to church got to church Back in the 70s, yeah, the 70s, before there was ketchup, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and he was uh, the bus driver, and so we got onto the bus, and we went to the church, and on this Tuesday night, both in the student service and in the big church service, I heard for the very first time what Jesus was all about. That he died so that I could be forgiven and have eternal life. That it was a gift. I didn't have to be rich. I didn't have to be parents who go to church. And I thought, wow, this is fantastic. So I came back on Wednesday night to make sure that I heard it correctly. And I did. Boom. Youth service. Main service. Jesus died that I might have life. This is unbelievable. Now, this was during the uh, era in the 1970s where uh, many of the messages, and particularly in the church that I was in, was always centered around what's called the imminent 
Return of Christ. What this means is that Christ can return at any moment. And if you are not ready, meaning you haven't believed, hold now, that you will be left behind. And those who are ready will be taken up into the clouds to meet Jesus in the air, and the rest will be left behind to ultimately face the fires of hell. I'm like, wow, this is scary. I got a scary prayer plaque. Now I got a scary sermon. Wow, it's, this is scaring the Hades out of me, you know? And that was a joke, by the way. And uh, so I thought, man, uh, they never actually said it explicitly either in the youth service or the big church service, but they certainly implied that Jesus is coming back on Friday at the end of vacation Bible school. (laughs) Yeah, right? That's how I heard it. And here's the deal, right? I'm thinking to myself, man, I am getting in under the wire, man. This is incredible. And so I go like home on Wednesday night and I knelt under the prayer plaque And I said an innocent prayer to receive Christ, but I wasn't sure that it took, right? And I go, I got to get a pro to help me. And I've got to do it on Thursday night because I don't know if Jesus is coming back at the beginning or the end of Vacation Bible School on Friday. Who am I going to talk to? Well, I decided to talk to a portly Italian man by the name of Paul Villar. And I'll tell you why. Two reasons. Number one, he was the bus captain of the bus that I got on for the first two nights. And so I had developed a bit of a relationship with him. And number two, whether in the youth service or in the big church service, they always quoted Paul. Yeah. <laughs> they did. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. I'm like, wow. You know, I look back. And there's Paul holding up the back church wall. And I'm thinking to myself, he never talks that way on the bus. (laughs) But he must be the go-to guy because they keep quoting him, right? I'm telling you, those of you teach students, young kids, you know, we don't know who these people are, right? I thought it was Paul Villar they were quoting. So I go to Paul Villar after the youth service on Thursday and say, man, you know, I want to receive Jesus. I got to make sure it's right. Turns out Paul didn't know how to do it. You know, and so he took me back to the youth pastor and uh, into the youth room while everyone went to the big church. And I sat on this row right here, two chairs in right where you guys are at. Okay, Uh, I sat where you're at and the youth pastor sat where you're at. And he led me in a more eloquent prayer. And then after that, I got baptized and I was excited. I was in in just a nick of time. Right. And so I'm thinking, okay, tomorrow is Friday. Jesus is coming back. So many things to do on Friday. And women, you'll appreciate this. First thing I have to do on Friday morning is to figure out what am I going to wear for all eternity? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And here's the deal. Here's what I decided to wear. Because my parents were not uh, wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. And I heard the pastor in one of the sermons referred to God as having a cattle on a thousand hills. I thought, well, certainly there's a golf course in there somewhere. And I'm never going to be a part of a country club here on this earth. But in the new kingdom, you know, I'm in. And so I had this uh, very loud red blazer with the country club medallion on it that I decided to wear when I jumped on the bus on Friday to go to vacation Bible school. The second thing I had to do as it got closer to leaving is I had to say goodbye to my parents. Like forever. 
you know, uh, like, wow, this is a, this is a, this is, and so I was crying, and I was saying goodbye to them, I, I, I'm sorry, I just don't know what to do, I don't know how to say it, I'm too new about all this stuff, and they're looking at me like, what is going wrong with you, man, what kind of cold church are you going to, man, this is crazy, and I said goodbye, it was a bit awkward, and I went to the church, youth service, and big church service, Friday came, and Friday went, no Jesus. Yeah. Like, wow, did I miss something? That was almost 50 years ago. And he still hasn't come back. And you know, that can kind of create a sense of doubt in people amongst followers of Jesus. The word doubt in the Greek is dubitar, and it means to hesitate or to waver. And maybe some of you are in that place of doubt right now, maybe about why Jesus hasn't returned or why things haven't really changed in your life, and it can cause you to struggle. Well, today, uh, as we continue in our journey through the New Testament challenge, a challenge that many of you have taken on to read through the entire New Testament in 40 days, this week, the next to the last week, you've been invited to digest, either through reading or listening or both, 1st, 2nd Peter, Jude, and the Gospel of John. Now, I would like to focus today on 2nd Peter and just a little bit on the small book of Jude because they were addressing people in the churches that received their letter who were also doubting and struggling about the delay of Jesus' return. And to top it off, inside the church, there were people that Peter and Jude are going to be calling scoffers who are uh, coming alongside and fueling the notion that Jesus either already came back or he's not going to come back, that this is a farce. And so they want to address this topic head on to the new believers in these churches. And it appears when you read the book of 2 Peter that uh, Peter read the small letter of Jude because he picks up on many of the same points that Jude makes and he includes them into his letter. So what I want to do is zero in on 2 Peter chapter 3. And you can open your Bibles there. Also, the Westside Family app has some great notes. You're going to want to take some notes today. So as we open up chapter 3 of 2 Peter in verse 1, he's going to help us with doubt created. Okay, doubt created. He says, dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers, there they are, will come. Scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So there they are inside the church stirring up doubt. It had been 30 years since Jesus had left and a number of the believers were getting restless. And so Peter's going to offer a rebuttal to these scoffers and it begins in verse 5. He writes, But they deliberately, meaning they knew, 
They deliberately forgot that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. What is Peter's point? If you're taking notes, write this down. Everything has not stayed the same. They were saying nothing has changed since the creation of the earth. Peter said, I beg to differ with you. I enter into evidence, case one. It's interesting, he said, starting with creation, that God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. And one of the primary ingredients that he used, I'm no scientist, one of the primary ingredients he used was water to create the heavens and the earth. But not only the heavens and the earth, do you know that the human body is made up of 60% water? Isn't that interesting? So what happens? God creates the heavens and the earth using water, creates us using water, and then evil begins to grow within the human race. And God decides to, out of his justice, intervene. And he intervenes by taking that same water that he created the heavens and the earth and us and uses it for a flood to bring about judgment on evil. Peter's point, hey, things have not stayed the same. Things have most definitely changed. These scoffers were trying to undermine the character of God and Peter and Jude would have nothing of it. So he continues. So I want you to hold on. He continues with his rebuttal in verse 7. Hold on. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. What's Peter's point? He continues his rebuttal by driving home his second point. First point, everything has not stayed the same. Point number two, everything will not stay the same. It's interesting, he says, by the same word, by the same word that brought the first creation into existence, by the same word, he will pull off this feat. Now, it's interesting, when you were listening or reading to the Gospel of John, the whole Gospel begins with the phrase, in the beginning was the word, referring to Jesus. One of the names of Jesus is the word. The Greek word is logos, and it is referring to the power of Jesus to simply speak and things happen. That Jesus was there in the beginning and he simply spoke creation into existence. Everything that you see, he didn't need a toolbox. He didn't need a hammer and a saw. He simply spoke it and it came into existence. Would you not like to have that power, right? Lawn be mowed, right? Dinner be made. Kids be bathed and in bed by 7.30. Wouldn't that be something? This is the power of the logos of the word. By the same word that Jesus spoke that brought all that you see into existence, by that same word, he's going to pull off what happens next. He, it says that there's a day coming when the earth is going to be destroyed. Yeah. By fire. Now, you remember with the flood that we just referred to. After the flood, God says, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to destroy the earth by 
water. He did say he was never going to destroy it. Again, he just said not by water. This time he's going to destroy it by? By fire. And those who scoffed and didn't believe in this life will be judged. Okay? Paul also refers, a different author, refers to this coming event in his letter, second letter to the Thessalonians. Okay? A, 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 a book that you took in, uh, in week two of the New Testament challenge. Let me read it to you. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verses five through 10. All of this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to those who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not believe the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out of the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. And this includes you because you have believed our testimony. What is he saying? Nothing ever has escaped the eyes of God. And some of you doubt because bad things happen to good people. And I won't believe in a God who allows bad things to happen to good people. And what this is saying is, no, he didn't. One day, he is going to make all of that darkness right. He is just. His points, everything has not stayed the same and everything will not stay the same. Now Peter is going to move on to give us insights into how God works. This is fascinating. So I need you to stay with me, okay? He writes in verse 8 of 2 Peter 3, But do not forget this one thing. Dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. What is Peter's point? Here's the point. God works off uh, a different timetable. God works off a different timetable. For us, a thousand years is only like a day to him. I cannot help myself. Please humor me. There was a man who was talking to God one day, and he said, God, is it true that a thousand years is like a minute to you? And God said, yes, that's true. The man says back, is it also true that a million dollars is like a penny to you? And God says, yes, it is true. The man ponders for a moment, and then he says to God, God, can I have a penny? To which God replies, in a minute. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just, oldie but goodie, but it really makes the point, okay? Now, <laughs> okay, so thank you for that. Okay, so here's the point. All right, so consider 
when God came to Abraham all those years ago in the Old Testament, and he promised Abraham that out of this new nation he was building, that out of it would come an offspring called the Messiah we now know as Jesus. So we're going to put on the screen uh, a, a map here, okay, a chart. Okay, the promise to Abraham took place in the year 2096, okay, 2096. Jesus arrived in the earth the first time, uh, scholars tell us, about 5 B.C. So Jesus' birth, 5 B.C., that is a total of 2,091 years from the time God promised into the fulfillment of the promise, okay? I have to tell you, 2,091 years is a long time to wait for us. But how many, how much time is that for God? Two days. It's two days. Now, I want you to consider that um, he has made a promise that Jesus is going to return uh, again. And if we put up today, the 2020s, how much time has elapsed from the time that he ascended back to the Father, not his birth, ascended back to the Father, and today the year is, uh, is 1,990 years that we have been waiting for Jesus' second return. Okay, hold on to that, right? Okay, because we as human beings, we pace in front of microwaves, right? <laughs> but God does not do that. Someone has said, God has perfect timing, never early, never late. It takes a little patience. It takes a lot of faith, but it is worth the wait. And all God's people said, amen. The question is, why does God wait from our perspective so long? Why? Peter answers that question in verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Here's Peter's final rebuttal. Take this down. God's delay offers time for more people to believe. You get that? He makes this point again if we missed it in verse 15. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. God is not willing, he means it, that anyone should perish. Matthew chapter 18, verse 14. This is at the very heart and soul of John 3, 16. He wants you to believe. It's a free gift. You will not perish if you believe. Certainly, like me, you know people who, for whatever reason, are holding out on this free gift of life. Certainly, there are people that you know, like I do, that you desperately want them to believe in Jesus before Jesus returns. You know why? Because the Bible is clear. I'm not making this stuff up. When Jesus returns, time's up. You have to make this decision. It doesn't cost you anything. It's a free gift to you. Cost him everything. You gotta make it before he returns. So why does God delay? Every day on earth he delays gives you or someone you know an opportunity to finally believe for all eternity. God is just and full of love. He wants to make sure that all nations and all people groups have a chance to hear his word 
his offer. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, listen to this, Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And then the end will come. You may know this. I've mentioned it several times. There's a major initiative going on in the world right now amongst Christians, and Westside is a part of it, where we are working to get God's word in every single remaining language, little tiny tribal groups, to get the word of God to them in their own heart language so they can hear this good news. Why? Because there is a belief that when everybody has heard, has had has heard, every people group has heard, then God will signal the end to come and Jesus will return. Yeah. We did the pry language last year for a small tribal group in Thailand. This year we're mobilizing multiple churches in Kansas City to continue to do this with the goal of finishing in 2033. Yeah. Could it be that in 2033... When all have received the word of God, that the end will come. I don't know. But here's what we do know as we look at today's New Testament challenge. Something new, something that we testify, and a challenge. First of all, what is new? The day of the Lord is coming. For some of you, you have never heard that. You knew he came the first time, but you had no idea he's coming a second time. I want you to look at verse 10 of 2 Peter 3, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Just like Israel waited for the first coming of Jesus, so now we, the church, wait for the second coming of Jesus. When is it going to happen? Let me give you this to ponder. It took 2,091 years for Jesus to come the first time, right? You need to know, and your scientists are going to love this, God is the inventor of math. God is the ultimate mathematician. If you look in the scriptures, numbers matter in scripture. They do. I wish we could, we could spend 17,000 weeks on how important numbers are in the Bible. And there's a symmetry to numbers. Let me just give you one example. There are 12 tribes of Israel. How many apostles are there? 12. Yeah. Okay. I can give you like 100 more examples of this. So it took Jesus 2,091 years to come the first time. How many days is that for God? Okay, we're already at 1,990 years from Jesus' ascension to today. How many days is that for God? Almost two. What am I saying? I don't know the exact day. It's going to come like a thief. But all I can tell you, based upon God, the ultimate mathematician, I think it is getting really close. Yeah. And when this happens, things will be different. Testament, what do we declare? We declare and believe Jesus will keep his promise. John chapter 14, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
And my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. So I ask you the question, do you believe Jesus' promise to you? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? And I want to tell you that it's okay to doubt. It's okay to struggle. Peter, who's writing all of this, struggled to stand up for Jesus when he most needed it on the night of his crucifixion. He denied he even knew Jesus three times. If it's okay for Peter to doubt and struggle, it's okay for you to struggle. Did you know this? My mom died at the age of 62 of pancreatic cancer. She's a pastor already of a large church. And when my mom died, I knew the right answer was that she went to heaven and that Jesus is going to take care of her when she comes back. But for some reason in that moment, I had doubt in my heart. I believed it was the right answer, but I didn't believe it as a way of life. As a pastor, I, rem I remember my, one of my mentors, Dallas Willard, said, uh, you need to tell your congregation that. They'll be encouraged to know that you're struggling to believe all this stuff. And so I told my congregation, and most of them really leaned in. They're like, oh, man, pastor, if you doubt, then I can tell you about how I doubt. Yeah, tell me how you doubt. But there was one lady outside of the church that met with the elders and says, Randy doesn't believe in heaven. <laughs> so you need to fire him. <laughs> right? Here's the deal. Jude is going to tell us that the church needs to be a place where people can be safe to doubt. Listen to this. Jude, verse 22. Be merciful to those who doubt. The church needs to be a place where people are safe to doubt. It's not only a place where you confess what you believe, but it's also a place where you openly confess what you struggle to believe. Peter struggled. Thomas struggled. Pastor Randy struggles even to this day. I give you permission to struggle, and particularly for our students, and I'll tell you why. Because in the early days, particularly those of you who are great in bringing them to church, I didn't have that experience, you know, they were believing as an extension of your faith. They were believing in Jesus as an extension of your faith. But biologically now, they are separating from you. And all the students said, amen. They don't want to say it because their parents are right behind them. But they, they're separating from you, and they're going to have to go through a process where they decide whether or not the faith that you gave them, they're going to own for themselves. And that almost always includes a season of doubt. And you guys have the freedom to doubt, okay? You have the freedom to doubt. And parents, I'm telling you right now, when they start doubting, don't freak out. Because if you freak out, they'll stop talking to you. Pastor, don't freak out. Because if they can't talk to you, they are going to talk to somebody. And when they leave your nest and go to the university, go out into the world, they're going to find scoffers. And those people are going to listen to them and going to lead them away from their faith. So Westside Family Church, I declare today, is an official post for doubters. You do not have to believe to belong. You hear that? And here's our challenge. Live godly lives as we look forward to Jesus' coming. Listen to verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about destruction 
of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. For some of you, particularly for some of you who do not believe, this sounds like a horror sci-fi movie and it's a bit scary. It's meant to be. Because it's true. But I want you to feast your eyes on the last part, that the end of the earth and all of its darkness, illness, hatred, wars, death will lead to a new beginning, something new for all who believe. And this will be the focus of our last week together next week in the New Testament challenge as you read the final books, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and the book of Revelation. And when you come back, I, I will explain in some detail about this new heaven and the new earth that has been reserved for those who've done nothing more than taken hold of a gift. In the meantime, we must wait. In the meantime, we must wait for him to come again. On that Friday, I went back home and I had an awkward hello with my parents. And then, the first act as a believer, I went into my bedroom and I took down that ceramic prayer plaque and I edited it. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I know the Lord my soul he will take. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when he comes, you're going. And he may not have came on Friday night, but if he comes today, I'm ready. <laughs> and here's the deal. Because he didn't come on that Friday, as a result, both of my parents had a chance to receive Jesus. And they said yes. You know what? I'm okay with the delay because eternity now includes seeing my mom and dad again. Yeah, this is real stuff. In the meantime, we devote ourselves to living godly lives. I also might encourage you to spend this time thinking about what you want to wear for all eternity. <laughs> May I not suggest the bright red blazer suit? And also it's an opportunity for you to begin thinking about all the people you will need to say goodbye to. But better yet, may not have to say goodbye to if you invite them here or talk to them about your story and they believe you can just get rid of all of that goodbye. And all of God's people said. Amen. Father, we come to you now. And I pray for all of those who are hearing my words that if they are doubting, that they would find this a safe place they're doubting about your promises. They're doubting about if you're really who you say you are. They're just doubting about why bad things happen to good people. And, and Father, this is a place where people can doubt. And I pray today that you would speak to them. You would comfort them. And you would move them, inch them further toward belief in you. I pray for those who have yet to believe that today would be their day of salvation. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.
It's interesting that Jesus said to us that he would like for us to take a simple meal when we gather together to remember his death. Remember that? He said, I want, when you get together, I want you to remember my death. Because he's gone. And he doesn't want us to forget that his blood hung on the cross, his, his body hung on the cross, and his blood was what was necessary for us to be forgiven. And that we have this hope because of that. But he said, I want you to remember my death until I come. What does that mean? It means that after he comes back, we won't need to do this anymore. Why? Because we won't need a little piece of bread and a cup to remember him. All you have to do is look up. He'll be at the end of the table. Jesus will be there. So we're now going to spend some time worshiping and remembering his death. I particularly, as we sing the song, I want you to focus on my bride, Roseanne. Uh, these, the, the signs to this song are really pretty spectacular. The name Jesus goes like this, and blood is like this. Let's be standing together as we worship. <laughs> 